Hey, this is your host, Paul Espinosa Jr., and I'm here to remind you that if you have access to iTunes, we ask that you rate and review the show. That way, we'll be able to climb the charts and continue to deliver bigger and better guests so that we can continue the educated hustle journey. And now, let's start the show. Welcome to the Educated Hustle Podcast. This is your host, Paul Atibur Jr., my co-host, Emilio Porter. Emilio, what's going on, man? Going good, man. Ready to get up into it. I think the streets been hungry. I think they've been wanting the new Educated Hustle heat, and we're here to deliver it with no oven mitts on, and you guarantee it's going to be a hot one. <laughs> I know if you're introducing the podcast or your new mixtape, bro. Both, bro. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, before we jump into the interview, we wanted to discuss a couple topics that, you know, are interesting to us. Um, so the first topic here, you know, that we wanted to start with is uh, California is actually outlawing the previous salary question in an interview. So, you know, like most of us have been on job interviews um, and there's only four states that have outlawed this question. But basically, California's uh, joining the ranks about um, making uh, outlawing companies from asking their applicants about their prior salary. Um, the reason why this is uh, very important is because, you know, we're all aware of the uh, gender wage gap. And California believes that this question, you know, women or people of color put their salaries of their previous jobs. So employers feel that. If they just exceed that by a little bit instead of paying them what, you know, the job requires or what their counterparts are getting, that um, this in turn will, you know, save the company money. So, you know, California uh, has stepped in and said, this isn't right. Uh, Companies need to require their businesses to uh, give a, a, a range of incomes on what to expect when they get this job. So I definitely wanted to know. And get your thoughts on that. I think that's definitely cool. It's a, it's a step in the right direction. I mean, anything that helps out with gender wage equality, because I mean, it, it's, it is such a prevalent issue and doesn't make much sense to have. I know in my experience, and maybe it's a Florida thing, we don't really get the gender. I mean, not the gender, but the, the wage question much. And if we do get mm-hmm. it, it's, you know, they have that range, like 30K to 40K. So you don't got to really input just how broke you are, which I always <laughs> found was a, was a, was a great uh, way around. But I mean, yeah. I, I mean, like I said, I feel like I don't really get asked that question a lot. I feel like most people, most companies kind of ask, like, what, how much money do you expect? Because they want to see if you know your range or you know your worth. But I think that's cool that California's taking a stand so that even if there was, uh, you know, companies that ask it out there, they can't anymore. So I'm all for it, man. Yeah, but even with that question about, you know, what you think you're worth, I feel like, you know, even even if you did the research or even if you didn't do the research, you know, it should be on the company to, you know, kind of create some kind of fairness. Because if you lowball yourself, um, you know, without even doing the research, that's kind of uh, the company, in a way, taking a little bit of advantage of, you know, you not knowing. Uh, you could have killed the interview. You could be the perfect candidate. And if one thing you didn't, you know, research is how much these people would pay you, um, you know, it's kind of like, company taking advantage of that knowledge so you know it's cool to see uh the the rate the the wage ranges kind of equal that out yeah i mean it's it's business ethics man it's it's kind of like you put your you put your if you own a company and you you know someone could do a job for x y and z lower you're going to give it to them lower because you want to get more profit yourself it isn't always right but once again when you get into business ethics of things because at the end of the day they don't force you to sign a, a contract or salary on so you have to do everything in your power to make sure you're aware and informed of how much you should be making and and be not afraid to stand up for it i mean if you know that this job is worth this much and they're low bond you call them out on it so but i i do agree to a sense but it's also at the same time with the way business is set up you know companies aren't going to throw anyone bones if they're not willing to go fishing themselves okay okay yeah, i definitely agree with you on that um the next topic i wanted to get into is kind of more your wheelhouse and the wheelhouse of our guests 
who is coming on, um, it, it talks about traditional books. And a lot of people think that traditional books are kind of going the way of extinction. But we actually saw last year, uh, according to a report from the Wall Street Journal, that sales in traditional books raised 5% last year, while ebook sales took a 17% nosedive. So it's looking like, you know, traditional book lovers are coming back showing that it is important to publish traditionally, uh, even though, you know, we're so into technology, a lot of people go to ebook route. So definitely wanted to get your opinion on that one. Woo! Uh, you know, man, I, I feel like there's a lot of ebook, you know, haters in the house. Uh, <laughs> traditional books, they like the way the pages feel, like, oh, no, you know, all these whatever, um, you know, reasons. Um I like ebooks because I don't want to carry my whole library with me. I can activate it from on the go. It's an auto bookmark. But I think it's cool that traditional books are on the rise, though, because, I mean, obviously, no one really thinks about reading much, especially after you get out of high school and college because you're not required to do it anymore. So the fact that people are actually sitting there and, and buying traditional books and filling the pages and reading it, which is really dope. I've evolved past that stage myself, but, you know, I think it's dope that people are still out there um, doing it and, and pursuing it and that, you know, there's there's reasons to be at a library or a bookstore. And that's kind of what the, the great the great thing of it is, because obviously, if, you know, there were no traditional books, e-books will take a hit because if you're not, you know, if no one's reading the physical copy, why are people going to read the, the digital copy? So I'm all for traditional books being read. That being said, you know me, I stay ready by the Kindle at all times. <laughs> That man said, I got my Kindle on deck. Mm -hmm. I hear you. Yeah, I think uh, another argument for the traditional readers, I know for me, I can do both. Um, but I do find that when I'm reading traditionally, you know, I usually read books on my phone um, if I do the ebooks, and I could get distracted pretty easy if someone sends me a text or um, if I just you know, think about something I'm reading. I want to go research it right then and there. But traditional books, um, I could, you know, really zone in, focus on what I'm reading. And if the story is really great, I could find myself reading for hours without any distractions of text or emails or thinking about work. So uh, I definitely see the importance for both. That's why you get a Kindle. No messages over <laughs> here. But, you know, enough of that, enough of that. Uh, of course, we have one of the our guests this week. She is someone of great, great importance. Miss Ashley Coleman. She is the founder of her website and, and, and really the, the movement of Write, Laugh, and Dream. She also has two books that have been published and are out now. And she really comes on here and lets us know just her her struggle from the beginning you know it's it's very hard to really make yourself stand out in a world where everyone's giving you content and everyone's calling themselves a coach and she really tells us how she was able to not only take that coach how to make it her own but also really give great service to clients that come to her and she has just an amazing amazing outlook on not only what she does but helping people and you really get from the interview how she really wants not only your clients but just people in general to really learn how to express themselves more and get their voice out and really put their content out and she helps and having a hand and making that all come to fruition. Yes, sir, man. And, uh, you know, she has a music background. And a really cool gem that she dropped was that she took her knowledge of promoting albums for a year. And she took that and cross-functioned it with, all right, so I'm writing a book. Let me just take that strategy and put it towards my book. And she really found success in that kind of promotion, you know, dropping nuggets for a year here and there, kept her audience waiting. So she's going to teach you a lot about not just writing, but um, about promotion, about marketing, about building that uh, audience for your network and your social following. So it's just a really dope interview, man. You can definitely feel her genuine passion for what she does. Exactly. She, as as we probably said in the interview or alluded to, she's a gem herself. So definitely by you pressing play today, you've made the right decision. So, of course, after a very short commercial break, we have the honor and the pleasure of letting you witness Miss Ashley Coleman. All right. And we're joined today by the writer and the founder of Write, Laugh, Dream, Ashley Coleman. Ashley, how are you doing today? I am doing great. How are you guys doing today? We're doing well. Uh, we just like to kick it off by uh, starting out with the first question. Um, 
how did you kind of know that you had the talent to write? And then uh, how did that translate to creating Write, Laugh, Dream? Oh, for sure. So uh, writing is, is, is a funny thing because we're all taught to read and write, right, um, at the very beginning. So I feel like sometimes it's difficult for people who write well to actually realize that it's a talent <laughs> because you're just, you're just like, well, we're, we're all taught to read and write. Um, it's kind of like a basic necessity. But I've always had an avid interest in books. Um, like my mom was a well, is still is a big reader. Um, so like growing up, my mom read books all the time and we would literally take trips to the library. Um, and I loved it. I would just be so enveloped in these books, like babysitters club and (laughs) probably before that, like goosebumps and stuff like that. And I started just like writing random short stories. I literally taught myself how to type on like a word processor. I'm probably going to be giving my age away because, yeah, <laughs> um, it was real back in the day. I definitely had an electronic typewriter in like middle school. So um, but, you know, it's all good. And and that really kind of I just messed around kind of doing it um, just for fun because I would read these books and feel like I could tell stories, too. And um, it wasn't until probably I I started college as a journalism major, even though I I hated news, though. So I switched to more of a broadcast and mass media major as opposed to journalism so that I could do more creative type of writing and stuff like that. And so in about 2008, when I finished uh, college, I started a music blog (laughs) um, that eventually morphed into what Right Laugh Dream has become, but it's kind of like that music blog was the the start of me writing in a public space. Um, And that really was, uh, after a while, it just morphed into Right Laugh Dream, which is where we are today. You got to love that full buffet answer right there. And I love how throughout that timeline, writing and writing it was just such a key key moment in your life and key figure so of course i have to ask i mean i think with every writer people are always afraid of like what are people going to think when they read what are, what are they going how are they going to react to my, my my subject matter could you tell us like what was the moment you realized that you had to put your writing out into the world despite i'm sure the insecurities you may have had Oh, the insecurities are so real. (laughs) Um, And I think that's with any talent, you know, that moment where you're going to launch into the public space, whether it's dance, whether it's um, singing, whether, you know, whatever it is, even launching this podcast, you know, you had to think like, oh, what are people going to think of us? Are they going to like my voice? X, Y, and Z. And so in 2013 was when I self-published my first book. And I remember getting my proof of the book. um, And being super excited, like, oh my God, look at my name on the cover of this book, right? Whether I self-published or not, I'm like, my name is on the cover. And then it was followed by immediate terror. (laughs) Like, oh my God, what have I done? You know, Um, because, you know, you are opening yourself up to public opinion. And I thought like, wow, am I even really a good writer? Like, you probably suck. Like, all the things that come to you when you're going to do anything. But the only way to avoid that feeling is to be nothing and to do nothing, right? So no matter what, the moment that we step into the arena, people are going to criticize, they're going to have something to say, but they're doing it from the sidelines. They're not doing it in the ring. And so I just told myself, like, I'm in the ring, and that's the most important part, and I'll continue to grow and be better Um, I'll continue to become a better writer, um, but it starts here. I have to start somewhere. And so that's kind of something that I like to encourage people of like, look, man, if, if what you look, if what you've done five years later, you look at it and you're not cringing, then that means you like waited too long to do it. (laughs) Uh, Like you missed your point because all of us kind of start somewhere and then we see it morph and grow, you know, Diddy didn't start out Diddy. He started out Puff Daddy. And before that, he was Sean Combs, you know? So it's just like, it, it takes time and you can't be scared to develop in the public eye because that, that'll make you better. The criticism, the feedback, it'll make you better at the end of the day. Great. And um, I definitely agree with that. And uh, I'm glad that you, you know, were able to kind of see yourself grow through, you know, projects that you started from the ground up. And um, you've also been able to self-publish a couple of books now. Um, yes. So I kind of wanted to know, you know, what did you learn from uh, book one to book two? And then could you kind of describe maybe a little bit of the strategy behind marketing those books so that, 
the uh, audience that you're trying to reach gets it into their hands? Um, yeah, it's crazy because, you know, uh, I want to say, like, I know nothing, <laughs> which is terrible English, right, from a writer. <laughs> but um, I didn't know anything going into uh, putting out my first book, which was called Dear Love. Um, and I really just got encouraged by another writer to self-publish, um, and they kind of made it seem like it wasn't as difficult as it might seem. And so all I had was the name of a site, you know, and like here, this is where you go to, to publish your own book. And I really had to figure it out from there. So I read so many forums. I am again, an avid reader, right? So <laughs> whenever I'm faced with something new or a challenge, I typically will read about it. I'll research it. I'll figure out how to do it. And so Dear Love was cool because it kind of started through Instagram. So the the reason I published the book was because I was posting these love letters on Instagram. And then literally there were people saying, I would want these together in something that I could keep. And so in that, I already had an, a built-in market, right? Because I was already cultivating this audience, unbeknownst to myself, that was interested in having this all together. So I really just went back through Instagram and kind of there and added some extra things. Um, and funny enough, I ordered 50 books. I was doing a release event. I'm based in Philly. I was like, oh, I'll do this in-person event and I'll make it available online. It's like, that's how I'll put it out. I ordered 50 books because I was like, yeah, if I could sell 20 books, that'll be great. <laughs> um, and we sold out of books. Um, and, and that release event was sold out. And there were so many people um, that were anxious for these love notes, you know, these poetic love notes. Um, and so that was really cool. But that first process really taught me a lot for my second book, which is called Love on Purpose. And I really plot. I didn't have a market marketing strategy for Dear Love. I was like, let me just put together this book. And I have a musical background um, because I work in music as well. And um, I just knew that people promote an album for a year. I just knew you have to figure out how to promote a book for a year. I was like, let me just take some of these strategies from albums <laughs> and do that when it comes to my books. And so I think that's an important lesson for people to know that like, you can cross transfer these skills, you know, um, it doesn't have to be in one area. Marketing and promo is marketing and promo, no matter what you're pushing. Right. And some things might be different, but so much of it is the same as, you know, creating a demand is cultivating an audience. And so I just took that experience from the first book and said, OK, how am I going to be more strategic? How am I going to plan out the rollout? You know, and that consisted of like just trying to create engagement with people. So creating a mailing list where people could get um, a sample chapter prior to the book being released. And then that way you have a whole list of people that are interested in your book, right? So those are going to be the first people that you blast about your book um, and getting that list to be over 200 people. And then you know you're going to have some return on that investment. So it really was about trial and error, learning as much as I can, and then taking those transferable skills. Like, okay, I know how people market albums, so <laughs> I'm going to try um, and do the best that I can and use a lot of those skills that I had learned through marketing my own book. There's a lot in there. I mean, I think our audience, you guys, you're going to have to hit the rewind button and try and just write down a lot of key points. You gave a lot of gospel and a lot of a lot of great hints in there. But I want to oh, keep... It. I want to keep the ball rolling on your second book, Love on Purpose. Um, mm -hmm. Basically, this book explores relationship issues, growth, and ultimately love itself. And I just wanted to kind of ask, like, what has been the feedback on that book so far? And how does it feel putting such an intimate book out there to the public? It's crazy because someone actually sent me a text message yesterday, like um, with all these notes they had written, because at the end of each chapter, um, there's these heart checks. Right. So um, each chapter kind of talks about a different topic in regard to this whole idea of loving on purpose. Right. So love being an action, love being something that we actually have to do as opposed to saying that we love each other. And they were like, I'm writing my notes. <laughs> um, and it was just like so encouraging because. I just, you know, first of all, the book has been out for like over eight months or something like that. And just the fact that new people are discovering it all the time um, is is great and amazing. Um, and then I like, you know, that I feel like over the years with my audience on Right Laugh Dream um, that I have invited them into like journeying and living life together. 
Um, and I and I think that concept really has come from like my church family here in Philly, where it's like they're all about working through life together, right? Like this idea that we don't have to be um, off to the side, kind of struggling, drowning, you know, <laughs> and, and not having any help. And so to me, that's what love on purpose is. It's like, let me invite you into this journey that I've been on, man, because everything that I thought I knew about love is not true, <laughs> you know, in so many ways uh, that it's all about how it makes me feel um, and that, you know, a person has to earn my love and just all these secular concepts that we kind of get from this place or that place or from TV or movies and just realizing how much responsibility that we have in love and like the moment that we accept that, I think that all of our relationships become better. And so I'm always encouraging people like, look, even if you're not in a relationship, like get the book because I think that it'll help you even in your like interpersonal relationships, your working relationships, just how you treat people, which is really at the crux of, you know, loving on purpose and how we should all be walking with, with one another. And we see where hate gets us, right? Cause we're in a crazy time in this country. Um, so, but imagine what love could do, you know, if we kind of just realized and just let it take over us as opposed to, you know, you have to earn it and I have to know you and all these, uh, limitations that we kind of put on it yeah and you know to go off that i feel like you know in a social media era we're so much more connected but our inner person have uh you know uh drifted off a little bit so it's interesting to say that uh you have that little network uh of your of your church family to really feed off of each other and Mm -hmm. uh it should be a lot easier to definitely uh work together as opposed to struggle individually. So I definitely love the concept. Thank you. Yeah, it's so important. And so I want people to know too, like, I'm not the love guru. I'm just things that I've learned and that I'm still learning and trying to execute in my own life, you know? So I I never want to come off as the authority um, as much as just like sharing, because the more we talk about what we're struggling with, what we're good at, you know, I think we all benefit from that agreed and you know uh definitely wanted to get back into your uh website write laugh and dream um i wanted to know uh, i wanted you to kind of explain to the audience what the website is and what the brand is and um also what to expect you know from you know uh taking one of your the services from your website for sure so write laugh dream i like to call like just my corner of the internet you know Um, so it's really split between, uh, my personal brand, right? Like who I am and my own writing and my books and things like that. And then it's become a place of community for other writers. Um, there was a a point, um, that I noticed so many of the people who followed me, um, whether, you know, on like social media and things like that, I started just being interested in who those people were. So as new people would follow me, I would click on their profiles and eventually I started seeing that all of them also had blogs. <laughs> and I thought, wow, this is really interesting. Here I am kind of just sharing my thoughts and musings on life, you know, but there's all these writers that are somehow drawn to that. And so that kind of spawned a shift in Right Life Dream to kind of become this split between my personal brand of Ashley Coleman and who I am as a person, but then also this space and community for other writers. Um, one, because I... And, and so I'm passionate about helping other writers kind of, um, one, recognize that their writing is a talent and two, that their writing is unique and necessary because, again, you talked about the time that we live in with social media and everything. You're like, oh, there's 50 million writers. Why should I ever write anything? You know, but I love the meme that's kind of floating around talking about Rihanna and imagine if Rihanna said, there's a million makeup lines. I'm not going to make Fenty Beauty, you know? So there's something unique and important about all of our voices. And so I wanted to make Right Laugh Dream a space for people like that too. And that kind of launched me into doing some courses and writing services. And I have a Facebook writing group where we kind of get together and just chat and share ideas and share opportunities and things like that because writing can be a very insular thing right it's just us we sit down at our computer or we sit down with our pen and paper and it's up to us to make things happen on that page um so sometimes that can get very lonely you can get uh, in your head a lot um and so i wanted to create a space where other writers could come together and, and 
pretty much be like, can you read this? <laughs> Does this make sense? You know, mm. um, how can I be better at this? How can I get a better depiction of what's in my head onto paper? And so that is a lot of the work that I've kind of transitioned to in addition to my own writing is really working with some one-on-one clients to kind of just help them through how do I start a blog? How do I write consistently? How do I, you know, connect with what I'm feeling? all those types of things and then doing um, some like spot courses and workshops. Um, So I've also done in-person workshops in uh, Washington, DC, New York, and Philly. So it's branched out and and it's so dope to kind of have this online space and to be able to connect with people in person as well. So what you're basically saying is that's the corner that you want to be sent to. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) It's not the punishment corner. It's a dope little corner of the internet. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And and that's amazing. I I love the goal and how how it's been resonating with people and what you've been able to do with it, because I mean, that's truly tremendous that, you know, I'm sure you just thought about just getting your work out into the public and now you're spearheading a, a, a little corner of the internet, as you said, where you're really getting people to embrace their writer's side and express themselves. So I kind of want to go back into like one of the things you said and you were talking about a writer's voice. Now, I'm sure you know as a writer itself, it isn't always easy to find your voice. It's very easy with everything out nowadays to basically, you know, write through someone else's eyes rather than use your own voice. So could you kind of give what advice would you give an aspiring writer to actually find and utilize their own voice? Oh, man, I love this question because so many people have it. (laughs) Um, So many people have that question. Um, And it really starts with one. I think most great writers, we start by imitating, right? So you read great writers and then you imitate them <laughs> because it's a natural thing to do. It's a similar thing that singers do, right? Singers, they they practice other people's songs. Um, and in that, they kind of find their own voice eventually. Um, and so I think that that's part of a start of it. It's like, yeah, admire other people um, and you're probably going to be influenced by them. But just keep writing because the more you write, you're going to hear yourself. And so it's funny how sometimes people are like, I want to find my voice and they haven't written a thing. And I'm like, pick up a pen first (laughs) before you, you know, before you're going to know who you are and what you sound like. It would be like somebody saying, well, I don't know what my voice sounds like, but they never sang a note. It's like, well, open up your mouth. Um, And so for any writer that's looking to kind of find their voice, I always recommend journaling. And it's interesting because I feel like journaling can get a bad rap sometimes because people think it's this very much like dear diary type thing. And it's like, listen, (laughs) that is not the type of journaling that I'm talking about. You know, I'm just talking about writing down whatever comes to you. It could be a poem. It could be, a, you know, like a regular journal entry. It could be a song, just whatever it is, just write. And, and the reason that journaling is so helpful and the reason why so many writers journal is because it gives them the consistency of writing all the time. I learned my voice because I've been reading my voice for so long <laughs> through my journals. Um, and so it's really about just doing it. The more that you do it, the more that you will hear yourself. But you have to kind of be brave and courageous enough to like take that first step. And a lot of people just get stuck at the beginning. They, they're like, I, I want to find my voice but they don't want to put themselves out there. They don't want to write it down on paper or make their thoughts real. And so I would definitely recommend that being one of the first steps. Read a lot. Great writers read and also just journal, journal and try to do it every day Um, because the more you do it, the more you're going to hear yourself eventually. Yeah, and that's interesting. And, uh, you know, your answer kind of uh, brought a thought into my head. Um, you know, writing is actually the act of actually writing is, you know, uh, kind of declining. Everybody's typing and uh, texting. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, do you feel like there's a huge importance to write physically in a notebook as a writer? Or do you feel like there's not much difference as far as typing out a thought or publishing a book online through typing? For me, there is. Um, But again, we talked about that age thing, right? So I'm right at that sweet spot age where I've literally lived. So I've literally lived half of my life without technology, like, you know, without easily accessible technology. And and this other half of my life has been full onslaught of technology, right? So I grew up writing notes and stuff like that. And so there is a 
about it, I think there was an article in Fast Company that did kind of uh, back my thought about this, that there's a certain connection that you have to literally writing something down with a pen and paper, like that it connects you in a different way than just typing. But I would never, if somebody just prefers typing on a computer, I would never say like, oh, you have to write. But I would say that like, man, sometimes you should try to write something before you type it. Because I know what happens for me is a lot of times when I'm like, I want to write something really heartfelt, I have to write it with pen and paper first. Because sometimes there's this disconnect that I have of, of a personalness. And I, I feel like I'm gonna get all like flighty and like, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, like all like granola on you. But like, it's just like, <laughs> that there's a, you know, there's a certain, um, it connects to my heart, really, that kind of writing with a pen and paper. Um, and I believe that that happens for a lot of other writers, too. Like, I loved learning that Maya Angelou wrote everything by hand, you know. And it wasn't because, clearly, she she wrote stuff after, you know, the fact that <laughs> there were computers <laughs> and things like that. Because somebody might be like, well, she was old. But, um, no, it was like, she hand, um, she would handwrite everything, you know, and, and then transcribe it because there is something personal about that as a writer. So, I mean, I'm always, like, do what works for you, but I would recommend, like, if you want to try something different and you always type, man, see what comes out when you just sit with a pen and paper and see how different those things might be. I, I mean, I don't, I didn't want you to feel like we were ignoring you. We just, it's so it's a gem <laughs> overload with you. You just got to put them in when you can be selective with them, you know, but um, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> definitely going off that. I think that um one of the cool things that you get to do is, you know, you, you, you get to tell people about not only your work and how it helps change relationships, but also grow people as writers themselves. So I want to go into your your business side of um, write, laugh, and dream, and ask you what can clients expect when they sign on to actually work with you. Um. Well, I feel like first and foremost, um, I I like that my client services um give us a test run, right? So like with all of my clients, I give them a thirty minute call prior to us signing off on a contract because I feel like people should be a good fit for each other. And so in a time where everybody's calling themselves a coach, right? I ran from the word coach forever because I was like, I hate this word and everybody's a coach. Um, But as a writer, I understood that coach means a certain thing to people and all these other words that I was using were confusing (laughs) at the end of the day. Um, And so, but yeah, so I like to make sure that my clients um that we're a good fit for each other so I don't want to I don't want to work with everybody um and I know that sounds terrible to say as a business person (laughs) but I just think that um especially in a in a relationship where you know you're trying to get great things out of one another that you have to be dedicated to the process um of being a better writer and I have to know that I have the skill set specifically to help you um and so that's kind of like the first part to get through but yeah other than that it's just like it's gonna be easy going I like to let my clients really set the agenda like what is it that you're looking to do um and then as long as it's in my wheelhouse of like I cater a lot to personal bloggers and um independently publishing authors and like what was my niche I didn't want to help people do anything. (laughs) I wanted to focus on the things that I feel I have gained expertise in. And those things are personal blogging and how to freaking put a book out on your own, you know? So, um, yeah, they, they set the agenda. We set some goals and you're going to see some actionable steps at the end of it. And I, and I like to just send people on. It's like, you know, I don't want to work with you forever. I want to kind of like give you the tools and I want you to go fly. Um, and so that's what I love about my services too. It's like, it's not, beholden like you don't have to keep coming back um because you know we're really working on something specific and then we're going to send you off on your little way to just be great and thrive and live your best life so basically people graduate (laughs) exactly (laughs) that's great and um yeah we definitely you know hope our listeners out there who are aspiring writers we we tend to have a lot of guests who uh have written books and uh have become authors so hopefully a lot of our listeners decided to come to your website and and check you out um so i I just wanted to get into you know the actual branding of your website 
there's so much content on the internet nowadays. Uh, so many people, like you said, uh, title themselves as coaches. Um, so, you know, what makes you stand out and kind of get to the front of the pack where, you know, so you can get your services out there? Um, I like to talk about the fact that um, cream rises to the top. Um, and so many of us can get very afraid of the fact that there's so many people out there. Um, but I just think that one, when you're good at what you do, um, people will find you. Um, and I think that, um, you know, I talked about that unique thing, your unique voice. And, and so there's like tons of other writers that I read and listen to that also coach that I'm like, they're a lot better than me. (laughs) Um, but you know, in my head, right in my head, um, I'm admiring them and thinking that they're great. But, you know, my voice speaks to some people that they may never reach um, because, you know, I, I'm pretty humble and I'm pretty easygoing. And, you know, that might stand out to some people more so than another personality type. And so I really have just tried to, one, be an active participant in the audience that I seek. Right. So the people who work with me and who frequent the things that I do, I've come across them just by being engaged in the things that we're all interested in. Right. So it's like taking part in certain Twitter chats that we're all at or, um, taking a part in other people's writing challenges. You know, I think that sometimes we get so lost in trying to get people to come to us that we forget to like support other people. Um, And so I've been a big advocate of just like, okay, you want people to come to your site, but what are you doing to kind of like help promote and amplify the other things that people are doing that you guys kind of all share audiences and you know, people read tons of blogs, but just be in their rotation because you're around and you're an active and engaged part of the community that you seek. And so if I had to kind of break it down to a nugget, because it just you can go on forever of like how to stand out. And, then, you know, there's so many ways and marketing plans and schemes to do it. Um, but I feel like just be really good. And I know that sounds really generic and I'm even still trying to get to my really good. Right. So I think I'm like pretty good, but I'm still on a mission to get to my really, really good so that people, so that I stand out even more. Um, but that's like one part of it. And then be an active participant in the people that you want to bring over to what it is that you're doing, like do the things that they do, go to the events that they go to be a part of it instead of always wanting them to come to you. And that is incredible. I, I really like that advice, and I really hope that people take that call action because, I, I, like, you've been giving out gems. I, I want to ring the bell again, but the <laughs> moment's already passed. I'm, I'm so. literally writing notes, man. Exactly. I got like, a page of notes. Exactly. I love that. <laughs> but wow, I <laughs> it's just hard to follow that. I love that answer, by the way. Um, so. You have a lot of success to your name. Not only do you have two books out, you also had your writing featured in a lot of prominent things such as the Philadelphia Tribune and Blavity. Could you kind of tell us what writing feature is still the most surreal to you and how did you come across that opportunity? Um, well, I think it's dope that other people have featured me like okay so the philly tribune thing really sent me for a kick because that to me was just dope (laughs) um just because it was um as much as we're in this great to be able to like tell my parents like oh you could get the tribune and i'm in it you know and have this kind of physical thing so that really has been amazing even the blavity thing was super cool because again there is such a validation to when you're not actively seeking opportunities but they come to you those moments are really validating to me um so even like even being on this podcast today, you know, it's like, oh, wow. Hey, you want to talk to me? Like, this is great because I'm not so focused on the outcome of what I'm doing. I'm really just engaged in the work. Um, And so those moments help you because man, you're a lot of times we're working with our heads down. And so um, the, the Tribune thing was super dope. And then it wasn't a feature on me, but the opportunity to be able to write for Essence.com is still just like surreal moment to me. And again, it was based on an editor from uh, their online site reaching out to me because she actually read my blog, which was just the craziest moment. <laughs> um, and so a lot of people are like, well, how do I pitch Essence? And I'm just like, I don't 
really know because that's not I mean eventually I started pitching things but like that's not how the opportunity kind of came about and so um those moments of just like man people are noticing because I always think about sorry real quick that Tyler Tyler Perry story where it was like Tyler Perry was um he was hustling kind of doing his plays and I'm not the biggest uh Tyler Perry advocate (laughs) but um but I would but his story is amazing you know just the fact that they approached him for his first film. That's what I'm trying to get to. So he was making enough of a name for himself that he had so much more bargaining power when he came to the table. And those are always the opportunities that I want to have. Sure, you know, we pine for opportunities. We apply for things. We pitch things. I pitch a million things that I don't get as a writer, right? But like those moments when somebody's like, I see what you're doing. I think they're so validating. And to me, that was the Philly Tribune. That was Blavity. And that was, for myself, having the opportunity to write some things for Essence.com. You know, though, Tyler Perry has um, Medea's Halloween 2 on the table. So I think he might have too much bargaining power. But I really feel like, you know, I, I love that approach that you tried. And I think people, I mean, even as podcast hosts, we love when guests come to us to want to be featured. So we get that sense of validation where it's kind of like, you know, I was just minding my own business. Now, now you guys want me. That's that's dope. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And um, also uh, to transition a little bit, uh, you also have another team that you work with that created the website um, Permission to Write. Uh, so I wanted to know, you know, what's, what's the goal with that website and, um, what are you guys trying to strive for in the long run? Oh, for sure. I think I just like to add things to do to my to-do list. It's, <laughs> it's a terrible, terrible thing. Cause I'm like, how am I managing two websites? But, um, I really, it came about, um, I got this, this idea of like permission to write. And I really thought it was just going to be a course. Like, how can I help writers give themselves permission? Um, But then it just, as I was doing the research for something, I read about how the lack, how much of a lack of diversity there is in the publishing industry. And so the lack of people working on the platforms to be able to produce works of writers of color is so lacking that I'm like, this is why we don't have the representation that we're looking for because they're not going to connect all the time. Some of them are like, if you know, you don't have to be a writer of color to read a writer of color story and think that it's good. Right. But we tend to identify a lot with people who look, think, speak and talk like us. Right. Um, and so when, when I was doing that research, I was just like, wow, like this is crazy. <laughs> um, so it probably cuts our chances of really being able to have platforms to get our work out there. And so that's how permission to write was born. It was really about, um, amplifying one, giving people the opportunity to have a place for their writing to go that aren't like these big, like the Demetria Luke, uh, Dale Doyley or whatever her new name is. And, um, or like the Lovia JAs who are all like great people. They've put in the work. They're awesome. They've done a ton, but like, how can we give opportunities to people that aren't like those like six bloggers, you know, that everybody kind of notices and that are on the radar. Right. Um, and so it amplifies it. And then we also wanted to help continue that work of cultivating voices. Right. So um, just helping to give instructional material and writing prompts and writing discussions and things like that based on other folks that also want to write. And so those are kind of the two parts um, that permission to write is meant to serve, giving us another platform, because, listen, writers of color are looking for opportunities. (laughs) opportunities for ourselves you know we don't always have to be begging for opportunities we can we can stand up and say you know what i'm gonna create this thing i'm gonna be the vehicle for the next lovey or the next demetria or the next whoever um by giving them this space to kind of just be and then we're gonna help other people get better um because that's just it's such a big part of the game for me i'm just always talking about look i'm trying to get better so i want to help other people get better too and that is what it's all about. I, I'm out of the break tradition to hit with that true one time. Oh. Just with, all the, with all the strength, what I can muster. I mean, <laughs> Ashley, you've been incredible. I feel like you've, you've been a gem 
by yourself, honestly. You just came here to shine us for this past 30 or so minutes. But sadly, we have reached the end of the Educator Experience, and that means we have hit you with the famous Educator Hustle 2 piece, which is the final two questions. The first question is always easy. Could you let the, our audience, the people, know how they can connect with you? Oh, for sure. So you're going to find me at writelaughdream.com. It's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-U-G-H-D-R-E-A-M. No funny spellings, just writelaughdream.com. And all my social handles are the same as well. I love how easy and simple it is. Nothing crazy, no no underscore, no jigsaw or anything like that. So that's that's incredible. That's dope. That's good uh, marketing right there, as they say. And then <laughs> the last question. No pressure. It's just the last words that our audience is going to hear from you today on the interview. Could you leave us with some parting wisdom? Oh, no pressure, right? No um, pressure. <laughs> um, I would just say um, I really have been feeling like we're in a space where we're just like rush, 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 trying to do great things, right? Like we are just a generation full of that anxiety and that pressure that we put on ourselves. And so I feel like if I wanted to part, I want to say embrace the embrace the downtime as much as the uptime, because I think that sometimes when we're not inspired, sometimes when we're, you know, we, we don't feel up to par, sometimes when we uh, don't want to write anything, we kind of beat ourselves up. Um, and so I just want to encourage people, I feel like in this moment, in the space that I'm in, is just to uh, embrace those kind of like downtimes just as much as when things are going great and when Essence and Blavity are calling, you know what I mean? Like whatever the case may be, um, that you embrace those moments too and kind of just remember to live your life in the midst of all of this getting that we're trying to get because we're dope and we are a generation that's going to change the world and we're already changing the world. Um, but just know that you can take some time to yourself, take care of yourself and live your life as well. Um, take your time because there's no blueprint for the things that we're trying to do. We are forging new roads. So those things are going to take time. Well, then you got to pick the register up and throw it out the window after that, y'all. <laughs> Ashley there it right is. there to shut it down all the way. You have been amazing. A delight to be on the episode today. We really appreciate you coming on. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you guys for reaching out. And there you have it, folks. That was Ashley Coleman giving us something to write, laugh, and dream about. Emilio, what you think, man? Two points for the tie-in right there. Two points. Sorry, <laughs> don't know how long that was simmering on, but that was good leading. <laughs> no, she was... Of, top of the dome, cuz. <laughs> top of the dome. No, she was amazing. She was great. I really loved her passion. I loved how she broke it down, and she did it on the level where you could tell, like, this is her life, this is her craft, and she really wants others to excel at it like she has. So she was a phenomenal guest. It was very, very refreshing to to once again have a guest that comes on, lets us know from the jump, this is what I do, this is what I believe in, and, of course, showcasing not only their answers but their action. I mean, people, what more can you ask for? Ashley is just, you know, joins the, the long list, the growing list of great Educate Hustle alumni. Definitely, man. And um, there's also something that I feel like a lot of people don't give uh, people credit about is uh, she was just super genuine as far as what she does um, and the passion behind it kind of makes you uh, makes her very likable and, uh, you know, wants you to go research and do more research about her. So hopefully our guests got the same energy that we did during the interview. Yes, and we're going to get Tina into because we'll break it. We'll break it right now in case you didn't know. But she does have an extended hustle coming later on in the week. So if you like this episode, be sure to hit that plan, the extended hustle one, because we had some fun. And oh my, oh my, is it going to get good. But anyways, enough of that stuff. Let's go for the real main event. Why you, why you guys are really here. And that's how you, yes, you can reach us. Educators reach you a variety of different means on social media. We are on Snapchat at Educate Hustle. That's all one word. Educate Hustle. There you post snaps behind the scenes, little videos, of course, inspirational things to keep you motivated and pumped throughout the week. You can also follow us on Instagram at Educate Hustle Podcast. Once again, that is Educate Hustle Podcast. 
There we do photos. And of course, if you're real lucky and you ask nicely, Paul might drop some inspirational words to get you through the week. And of course, we promo our latest episode there too, so you always know what to expect and who we'll be speaking to. And then, if you really want to, you can go to Facebook and like our page. It's such easy to do. All you gotta do is type in Educate Hustle. That's two words, Educate Hustle. And you know you reached the right page because you'll see the logo that you guys all know and of course love. Now, let me get out of that plugin and go into another bit of plugging. If you have not already, please, please, please rate and review the show on iTunes. It's so easy to do. Go to iTunes, whether on your computer or on your phone. It's that purple app that says podcast. Type in Educate Hustle, two words. You'll see our show logo. Click it. Scroll down a little bit. They know they updated for the Apple Podcast process. So you'll see a new layout where you have to scroll down, hit write a review. Same thing as we want to write a review title. You want to give us stars and, of course, write a review context. So it'd be something short and sweet as it's lit or something long, deep, and meaningful as it's still lit. It'll, either way, please do it if you haven't done already. When you give us more reviews, you raise our awareness, which brings us more guests, which then gives you guys not only more shows, but better shows. So if you have not already, please rate and review us. And now let me get out of that plugging to go back into my initial plugging. If you want to, and I strive that you probably should, you should follow us on Twitter. It's easy to do. We're at educator underscore hustle. Once again, that's educator underscore hustle. That's probably one of the best ways to get at us because it goes right to our phone. Of course, we do daily interactions and we talk to you guys and listen to all feedback and whatever else you might have an idea about. Now, last but not least, Please, 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 if you haven't already, whether you are a fan of the show, you want to give a good review, whether you want to be on the show as a guest, or whether you just want to let us know how we're doing, do not hesitate to email us at educatehustlepodcast at gmail.com. Once again, that is educatehustlepodcast at gmail.com. Yes, sir. And as always, bro, you got to lead us out, man. Lead us out. People, 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 do not hesitate. Do not hesitate to look on everything that you've done so far and let that lead you to new opportunities because new opportunities are always right at your door. One day you could be down, the next day you're up or right back down. So you got to keep that energy, you got to keep that positivity, and you got to keep that motivation. Ashley said it herself, it's very easy to kind of tell yourself that you can't do something without you even really starting to see if you could try to do it. And that's how she was kind of got her successes that she just went, started, and now she's built to where she's at now. And we just urge you all to start you know, Rome isn't built in a day, but guess what? It was started by one brick being put down. So we ask you to do that brick for yourself when it comes to your life, your career, and whatever aspect that you want to improve. And as always, you got to stay educated and keep hustling.